Continue to press in. Continue to lean forward. Do not regress. Do not back up. Push and lean forward, saith the Spirit of grace. Do not consider the fiery trial which has come of recent days to try you as though some strange thing was happening. For the purpose of your life is this, that I have called you and I have said that I have few that have separated themselves in the earth for that which is supernatural and that which belongs primarily to the place of a supernatural revival. Count it all joy when you find yourself in divers' temptations and tests and trials. For all these things, your fellow brothers and sisters of old walked through on the trek into revival, says the Spirit of the Lord. For all who ever found this gold found that the place of separation in my spirit more than equalized them against the attack. For I've called you up into a heavenly place to be seated with me in Christ Jesus, says the Spirit of the Lord. Do you not know that this place is also a place not only of fellowship and presence, but it's also a place of dominion, says the Spirit of the Lord. For that which I give you in my presence, I give you in dominion to exercise that which has already been granted to you, which is my authority and my power, says the Spirit of the Lord. This is the hour that I continue to say to you to separate yourself into intimacy. Separate yourself into that place. You'll find that the birthing that you've been called to will come about, says the Spirit of the Lord. It'll give you a dominion against the things that have come to bring forth a distraction in this hour but I say again unto you lean into this all that you were ever doing in 2020 do that at least and more says the Spirit of the Lord it is not a time to regress digress or to take a step back and even try to analyze do not analyze but pray says the Spirit of the Lord. Stay in a posture of prayer and keep leaning in. Find every available moment, as I've said in other prophecies, steal every moment. Do not waste your time. Do not find things to do when you don't know what to do. Say, ah, more prayer time, more word time, more presence. This is how I will invest, says the Spirit of the Lord, to you, your assignment, and my grace. Oh, it's more than sufficient. A hunger is created in that place that you begin to divorce yourself from all things in this life that are time robbers and time stealers 
you find that as you do the things that are sanctified and the things that I do give you, that I will bless and you'll find joy in them and you'll find my presence even in the simple things of life. But I desire that your whole life be consumed by me, says the Spirit of the Lord. And I am finding such pleasure in you. Those of you that are separating yourself, I am finding pleasure in you, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you just raise your hands at least a little bit and just praise Him. I worship you, Jesus. We glorify you. You're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. So what I want to do, what I believe he wants me to do, is to go over a couple of prophecies that we, I'd say this is old business, but it's new business, because we really like to read through our prophecies. And we did that on, you know, Sunday the February the 14th was amazing because the Lord just exploded in here with presence and power and some prophecies. It was like I didn't even know how many there was. And there was five. And uh, it took us a little while to dig out and make sure that we'd caught them all. But it was a, a pretty amazing morning. And so uh, we went through um, three of those a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to keep in fashion with kind of what I feel like our instruction is to, to continue to read those. We don't just, you know, receive them and not make over them in a proper manner because we want to continue to hear from the Lord and continue to do um, what he says to do in these prophecies. This prophecy here was the fourth of the, the five prophecies. And of course, as we've said before, all our prophecies are online at this point, I won't go into how you can find those, but most of you that, uh, that watch us know how to find our, our prophecies. So this one is, ask of God, tendering the hearts. So the Lord says, just two paragraphs, but the Lord says, you have not because you ask not, says the Spirit of the Lord. But I say, ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. For many days have come and gone, and I have taught my body to not ask amiss. And I would say that has been a foundational teaching throughout in our, in our services. And so I won't teach all that. What does that mean? Those who turn and are asking Bread from the one behind the wall, know you this, that I am more than willing than even the example from Scripture. I know how to give good gifts to my children. Your gift is the bread of life that you will serve. Test these things. Begin to move under my unction. Now, before we read the second paragraph, I just want to say that the light of this particular prophecy, well, let's go to what I believe is the foundation of this prophecy, and that is Luke chapter 11. Now, I'm not going to teach this. I don't, 
That's not my assignment. I just want to say the foundation. But with the present tense atmosphere for revival, there will not only be an atmosphere for miracles, which are second, the, the, I would say the second priority, but the first priority is the harvest. But I, you've heard me say, and I do believe with all my heart, that the revival has begun. And the miracles will catch up. And they will. But what I believe with all my heart, that there's also a tendering of the hearts. In other words, there's an atmosphere that is coming across the land. And where you live and where I live for the purpose of the harvest. The evangelism of the gospel was seen and exemplified perfectly in the book of Acts when Peter preached the first message after Pentecost. There was an atmosphere of what must I do to be saved. That was a major part of revival. The miracle at the gate, beautiful, harvested thousands but miracles can come and go and people don't get saved but when there's an atmosphere of what must I do to be saved the harvest comes so he's saying to us here that he is tendering (laughs) if you want to use that well I think he did tendering the hearts causing them to begin to be open and then with that he will give you a confidence to share your witness, but not just share your witness, but also going back to some other prophecies that we were part of, or the Holy Spirit said, is that let the authority that you walk in from, from presence exude an atmosphere. So you'll find that even without a standard kind of one, two, three, ABC kind of evangelism, uh, there's a harvest that is coming and now is. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Gary's been doing a lot of teaching on this recently and just so wonderful. But the heart of really, the, the heart of Luke chapter 11, verse 5 is really this. It's really souls and it's really um, us asking and receiving for this revival and for the hearts of men. Verse 5 says, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall, not, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give thee. I say unto, thee, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, Because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as much as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and him that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask fish, will he give him, or will he give for a fish give him a serpent and if he shall ask an egg will he offer him a scorpion if 
ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? This is not a, the man behind the wall is not a comparison, it's a contrast. It's even far, because when he says here, he's going to, to say this. Um, he says, the one those who turn and ask and are asking bread from the one behind the wall know you this, that I am more willing than even the example from Scripture. I know how to give good gifts to my children. Your, your bread is the bread of life that, will, uh, that you will serve. Test these things. Begin to move under my unction. So the Lord is saying, once we've learned, it's amazing how Scripture just automatically comes to pass when you you when you fit it in the when the the slots when the when the 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 true understanding and you walking in the true understanding when you begin to do that when you're knocking and seeking and asking uh, for all of everything that uh let's say the hyper prosperity message taught the church for years that all this is for Asking for bigger cars, seeking for bigger this, knocking for bigger that, better that. That's asking amiss that we may consume it on our own lust, of course, James. But when the slots line up and the doctrines line up and the understanding, then all of it, how, how much more, it's like if, you, if, you're, if you're knocking, the, it's like he's right there at the threshold saying, you don't, the, the, the man behind the door that gives the bread, if he'll do it because of your importunity, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost? And the Holy Ghost here really is not speaking in tongues. It's the Holy Ghost for the harvest. And so that's the creation of the atmosphere that he's wanting us to have. And a faith like, um, it's kind of like a swag. You know, you begin to believe in it. You're like, they're standing there. You used to be kind of scared. Just say something. And you'll find out that the atmosphere is charged with something that causes them to kind of want to ask more and seek or to have more information concerning the Christ. Invite them again. I'm tendering their hearts. Go to them again. I'm tendering their hearts. Call them again. I'm tendering their hearts. Those that have been hard, those who have been steadfast against God, I will awaken their senses in these days because these days are like no other. I have said in my word that I have, and I have prophesied by my prophets and by many others that the days would be come towards the end would be like no other, says the Spirit of grace. The former and the latter would come together, and the marriage between the two would create a child, a church that would be stronger in the earth than anything that has ever been seen. Hallelujah. So from this, let's take a confidence. Let's take a confidence that he's out there in front of us because our, our asking, our seeking, our knocking is not that we can... And, and here's the beautiful part that's taking place. The greatest of all miracles is salvation, of course. 
the Holy Spirit is creating an atmosphere that will be eventually conducive for miracles. But what he's asking for us to do is let that be a part of this great harvest. Leaning into knowing this, that what he wants more than anything else is men to be born again. That's where the anointing's at. And to preach the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. Hallelujah. Let's go on to the next one, and then we'll be finished up on these because we need to go on to something else. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They made it. This is the last one. That he, and this is just at, uh, an assurance prophecy. The Lord said they made it. Speaking of that person who died, they made it, says the Lord. The one that you were standing for and that you stood for and that you've questioned in days gone by, they're here with me, says the Spirit of grace. For I'll place a witness inside of you concerning their hearts. But my answer to many today, my answer to many today that stood in that place of intercession for them, even to the end, that never knew because they were in a far away place or some place or sometime there'd been a space in time that you could not communicate to them, but once again, I rise up on the inside of many of you, and I say, take this word as continual hope and renewal of hope in your heart. You will see them again in my presence, says the Spirit of grace. Let peace govern your life. Let the witness on the inside communicate to you that they're here with me, says the Spirit of the Lord. For many of them, it was their last breath and consciousness of and a consciousness of me i remember i heard alan taylor say in one of his messages a few years ago and he was talking about standing for people and how that if we continue to stand and pray for them um, and believe and intercede intercede for them he said why even if you didn't know even if you didn't know their end why would you even begin to question that God didn't do it? Because he is going to do it. There's no way that you can sew that in that God's not going to come there and make that possible at the end for them. So we need to take this great confidence for these. And the Lord was speaking specifically to some people. And so we just want to finish up with this last paragraph and do the Lord's service here and honor in these prophecies. Uh, one thing that uh, was noted here that, that I spoke right after that first paragraph, now he's speaking real specifically, and there's no way for me to know this except, that was just my comment. Even many of, the, of those in tragedy where it seemed like a split-second thing, I was able to come to that place in the twilight between the actual death and the closing moments of their life and bring forth a picture of the reality of all truth that had ever been said to them. And I received, as in mercy, their yes to me. So I say unto you, if I made these things so profoundly simple 
for anyone to enter in, in, why would you not continue to pray vehemently for these and for your cities and continue to broadcast this even with invitations, even with a simple God bless you, even with the things that seem so minuscule, for I said that even a cup of cool water would not pass from me to the next, that I would not take pleasure in these things. I'll follow you, I'll follow you, I've promised that I would follow, I will follow you, I will, or I'll follow you into, into the places where there is no presence. It was the simplicity. If we consider the simplicity of how easy God made it to be born again. Now, obviously, we couple the doctrine of true repentance and following Christ in righteousness. But we're, here he's talking about how the, these made it at the last. Then he also brings that into effect to say how simple this gospel is when it's, when it's preached under the anointing, how very simple he makes it for people to be born again if they truly believe. I'm not talking about a prayer that you just repeat. But the simplicity of that and the ease of that, he's trying to get over to us to let us know that we don't sow in vain and that we don't reap in vain. We say the greatest of all miracles is, the, is being born again, and that is true. And yet, also on the other hand, we look at the miracles that are the physical miracles or the miracles I would call in the natural, and we find so few of them taking place. And so reasoning sets in and says, no, wait a minute. If the greatest miracle is born again, why can't we get the, 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 the under that greater miracles like healings and those kinds of things why can't we see that the reason being is because they're in god did it by his design what the genius of god is amazing he hid salvation in the supernatural where it could not be seen because if you had to believe for your toe to grow out or a sniffle to leave or something physical to take place when you prayed the prayer, like that's a comp there, you'll, have, you'll have a confirmation of your salvation if this stops hurting in your body or some physical things happen in your body. He left all that out because the, 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 the firewall of miracles, what keeps back miracles mostly is not demonic powers. They can't stop it. It's the unconvinced, unrenewed soul that has yet to concede to the Spirit that miracles are supposed to flow through you like water. And that firewall stops it. And so, but God's, in his genius, of, of course, he put, he put salvation in a total different arena. Though salvation is the greatest of all miracles, it's the simplistic of all miracles. It's so simple. If a man just believes in his heart and says, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, I repent, he becomes a totally new creature. And yet, we can't get a sniffle healed. Why? I can't. Because it's in another class. It's in the natural realm. For a miracle to take place, it takes place 
99% of all miracles, unless it's an emotional healing, take place with an outward. And the, the best word I can use, I don't know, there's probably betters, but it, it better. But the firewall to those miracles, the, the, the game stopper, is the believability factor in the realm of the soul. That's, that's mostly it. And God in his genius just said, okay, I'm going to hide this from everybody. You won't be able to see it because if you could see it, it'd stop your faith. And so I'm just going to make it real simple. Pray, believe, and receive. And, and really believe. Hallelujah. Amen. So I wanted to do justice to those. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to read to you tonight the letter that the Lord had me send out uh, because it's more on intimacy, and that's the heart of God. Jim, Pastor Jim, has been teaching. Uh, I hope you get his letters. I hope you get Gary's letters. Uh, but it seems like there is such an essence. It doesn't seem like there's absolute essence of worship and intimacy. And it's like God is weaving us all together with a mind. Uh, Jim's last month's letter, this March letter was incredibly wonderful concerning worship. I believe he's teaching um, all his Sunday nights are devoted towards worship. I've been hearing Gary talk so much about worship and intimacy. So we're going to get to intimacy. This will be, you know, I'm just telling you what I'm going to tell you because we're, we're, we're still on um, more than a theme. The heart of God is for us to stay in intimacy. It's going to help. It's going to be the part that is really birthing this end time revival. Um, but before I read, before I read this letter, let's go to, I'd say the basis of this letter. Let's go to John chapter 17. I think there's no greater chapters of intimacy than John 14. You know, it starts in John 13 and 13 through 17. I think I've heard Gary talk about it. 17. It maybe especially is the Holy Grail. But 17 is an amazing chapter because this is the this is the Last Supper. This few hours, however long it was, Jesus is coming to the end. Uh, about to go into a place where he solidifies our, our redemption. And he is communing with the disciples, and he's saying some things that they cannot understand presently. But John chapter 17 is it's a prayer. The whole chapter is a prayer. It's a prayer from Jesus to the Father, one continuous prayer. And it's a perfect prayer, and it's a prayer of intimacy. If you ever think about, you know, Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit prays for us and makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be articulated or described in, in our native language, whatever that is. In other words, you can't get it out. You, would, you, don't, you don't even know what to pray as we ought. Jesus 
because he had sanctified himself and, and put himself in a place of continual death, even to the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus had the ability in the Spirit to pray the perfect prayer. And if you ever want to know, what is the Holy Spirit praying? Do you ever think about what the Holy Spirit's praying for us while we're sitting there? You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, hour after hour, you're doing stuff, you're working around the house, or you're in a private pr place of prayer, and you're thinking, what are, you know, I, I'll do this, I'll obedience, I can feel the edification to some level. Uh, I believe your scripture, but I just really wish I knew what you were saying. Well, he's praying the perfect will of God. He maketh intercession for us according to the will of God, the word says. But if you, uh, it, this would be a prayer. This would be a prototype prayer that the Holy Spirit would be praying for us, except for the parts uh, that Jesus describes, you know, his, his earthly ministry and, and, and uh, what has taken place as far as the leadership of the Father up to that point in his, in his life. But the latter part of this, for sure. So I want to read this chapter. Is that okay? I mean, we're come here to the Word of God, and we love the Word of God, and I want to read it in preface for what the Lord would have me uh, cover here for just a few moments in the letter that he had me write, because it is the heartbeat of intimacy. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, this is John 17, verse 1, Father, the hours come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over, the, over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So now he's talking about, he goes back to a place that was his existence with the Father even before the world was. And here is, a, here is a, uh, an earthly son going back in reminiscing or as in communing with the Father and saying, remember what we had then. Remember what and know what we have now. And he says, And now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In other words, that intimate relationship, let that same intimate relationship be glorified in me now, even to the full measure as it was then. I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me, that's his disciples, of course, out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given them 
unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send, uh, didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. The letter, the, the, the name of the letter, and you'll, you'll we'll get into it more in just a few moments, it's called the, the triangle of love. But what you're going to see in this chapter, many of you are familiar with it, and others are like listening that may not be as familiar, but what you're going to see is an intimacy that Jesus is speaking out in a prayer. Now, all of everything that he is praying, he already knows, and the Father already knows. So he's telling him stuff that he already knows, and normally that's not necessarily important for us to go to God and describe back to him what he already knows because he already knows it. But for this supper, for this intimate room, he's saying things to the Father so that it's picked up by the ears of the apostles and then, of course, later ascribed to by John and then he relates it to us. So we wouldn't know what they shared and what they shared before and what they had shared during, except Jesus prayed out loud in front of them what had been transpiring before this life and during this life. But he says in the King James, if we had time, maybe we'd read from the Amplified, we don't, but um, some things that are back and forth as in relationship to Christ being in God, God being in, in him as the Father in him, and then us in Christ. It's just, it's, it is what I call, and we'll exemplify it more as we go on, the love triangle. But it is the heart of God, as Jesus is praying this, that we begin to capture how much he loved Christ, but now how much he loves us because of Christ, and that there is nothing impeded in our relationship from him to us as there was nothing impeded from his relationship to Christ, nor is there any difference of Christ's intimacy for us as it was for the Father. It's just an incredible, beautiful triangle. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Verse 11, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but, or except the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak 
in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Everybody say with me right now, I am not of this world. The world's going to hate me, because I'm not of this world. But that's a good thing. Hallelujah. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So this is another thing. I'll just pause right here because we're halfway through this. But one of the things that we have to understand, and I think we're, the, God is getting this understanding over to us more and more. You know, we watched that 28-minute video of Mario Morello Sunday. It was so powerful, so wonderful. And one of the things that he, was, he said someplace in that was that, that the church has failed because it has had an escapism mentality. In other words, it thought that it somehow it was going to you know, get raptured out of here before it all got bad and that we could just breeze along and that we could kind of bury our, you know, don't fight abortion, don't fight LGBT, don't fight, you know, in the spirit, when I'm talking about fighting them, don't fight um, all these horrible, horrible things of darkness. Just keep treading along and keep doing your own thing and, you know, we'll get out of here uh, and escape it all. <laughs> and that is not what God has called us to do. He has called us. This is why Jesus says this, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. We're supposed to be, one of the things that he was saying in that video, Mario Morello, is that we're supposed to be salt and light. Now, I don't know if he used those terms, but he said we're supposed, what God is asking us to do, I, it was, I think he said, go into uh, every man's culture, or go in, we're, we're supposed to be involved in the culture of our day go into every man's world go into the arts go into the business field not everybody is few are called to stand behind a pulpit why because he needs a lot of salt out there he needs us penetrating the world that we live in he's not saying take them out of the world no keep them in the world but don't let the world get in them God, I, Father, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. I'm asking that you plant them in the world. Let them be rubbing shoulders with men who desperately need God. Let them be salt. Let them be light. Let them affect all kinds. Let them affect the political arena. Let there be Christian politicians. Let there be men and women who are in the House of Representatives, who are in the Senate, who are in for us to think that revival means that we all come to church, hunker down, and we just have a big revival service day after. You know what, really, I think, uh, correct, I have to say this, that my mentality has been being corrected for a long time concerning revival. But all the more concerning these last days, it's, it's going to another level because I kind of thought, boy, it'll be revival services one right after the other, you know, it'll just be a nonstop revival service. It'll just be glorious. We'll just be in the presence of God. And that's, that's wonderful. We will be at many times. But it's not meant that we 
stay in a place where we all just hunker down in a big church or a big field and just it we we gotta we gotta go out there we gotta go out there and this is one of those prophecies i don't know which one it said uh the glory will come and then that'll kind of uh reside it'll kind of you know it'll always be with you but but then or it's intercession i believe he said but then you'll basically what I think he was saying was we'll go out there as salt and light. And then here comes the glory wave again. And it's to fuel the revival. It's not that we just praise God for the wonderful services of presence that we're going to have. This is a presence revival out there. <laughs> it's a presence revival. I've had the mentality it's a presence revival in here and it will be in here but it's a presence revival out there you walk into a room and exudes the presence of God and people like they don't even know they feel a funny feeling they're like because they don't know it's God that's the Holy Spirit's not funny to us as in we're we're accustomed to him we know when we feel the presence of God but they don't know they're like what's going on but we're supposed to be salt and light and what I believe that I see in this chapter, and I believe that you'll see it too, if you haven't already, you may be way ahead of me on this, is that evangelism, true evangelism, is not a, a plan, it's an intimacy. True evangelism is not knocking on doors. It's not a... a a, B, C, one, two, three, kind of let's get a plan together to touch our city. It's an intimacy that is provided through what he is praying here. And from that intimacy, there exudes a witness, <laughs> whether it's said in words or whether it's not said in words. <laughs> I wish I could remember that. Preach the gospel and when necessary. Use words, yeah, when necessary. Because he, he wants us to be salt and light. So he doesn't want us to take us out of that out there. He wants to keep us in it. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. So, we see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was right out there in the streets among them. He wasn't just always in a place of in the temple teaching, although that's what he did at times. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. Here we go. Here's us. But for them which but for them also which shall believe on me through their words. That's 2021. I've believed on Christ because of their words. Because of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being recorded. Jesus prayed for me and he prayed for you in this prayer. And so we're the recipients of the answer of that prayer. That they may be one. Now look at this. That they may be one as thou art, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And in, in, in three verses here, he says something twice. He's trying to get something over. Now, we know this. 
and I say, when we know this, uh, you, you may not know this if this is, you're, you're tuning in for the first time or you've just not been around for a while, and I cannot preach, <laughs> I cannot preach two years or teach two years of uh, the doctrinal truth of the born-again trail, which we, uh, that is a title of a series. If you're just, I'm going to say this to anybody that's new in this, that Pastor Dave Roberson, my pastor, taught. I think it took him probably over a year, year and a half. There's, there's dozens and dozens of messages on the essence of what born again means. And much of that definition is defined right here in these very words that I just read out of John 17, 21. The oneness primarily the foundation of that oneness is the oneness that we come into when we're made one through the born-again spirit. When we become born again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and old things are passed away instantaneously in that realm of what we can't see, thank God, we're birthed. We actually become a new creation. That sets us in a place we receive the oneness of the Spirit of Christ. We receive His nature. His nature being everything that He came as a living Son, human Son on this earth, born from above, John 5, that the life that He received from the Father was given to Him from the very beginning. He had a physical body from Mary, of which the motions of sin were living in, which are, they lived in him from zero to 33 and a half, but he did not sin. What are the motions of sin? It's the appetite of sin. That doesn't go away when you're born again, neither was it vanquished when Jesus was born the first time. He wasn't born again he always had the life of God in him, which we call the life of Christ. But it, it wasn't vanquished when he was born with that life in his body. His body was the carrying case, but the life was the life of the Father in his human spirit, which he lived out a sinless life. Now, that's what we got when we were born again, and that's just a quick 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 snippet synopsis that's the foundation for the oneness but the oneness that we received from him through Christ is meant to be lived out not just in an awareness of I've been born again that's the first that's the foundation but there are many and multitudes of Christians that are born again who legally can say they are one with Christ because they've been born again but they do not exemplify the intimacy of that oneness that Jesus is describing in these next few verses because that oneness is something that he was walking in and he prayed this prayer out before his disciples and he actually said that if this oneness was lived out in its fullness before humanity, it would confirm to all humanity that he himself, it would be the advertisement, it would be the billboard for all humanity to know that truly he was sent from the Father. And for here in what we're reading, it's not just the testimony of the Father before man, 
It's the testimony of our intimacy in Christ and with the Father that, that actually verifies who Christ is and that he was sent from the Father. So it's in this intimacy, beginning first, as in, yes, foundation born again. But we find here that they all, he says in verse 21, may be one as thou, Father, art in me. Now here where he goes into this triangle. And I in thee, and they also may be one in us. You're in me, I'm in you, and they're in us. Isn't that great? It's great. That the world may believe. Why? 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 We're included in this, in that intimate triangle. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You mean, Jesus, I get to be a verification? My intimacy in you, well, it's just, it's just foundation, born again, that oneness. No. <laughs> if that's the case, there's a lot of Christians that exemplify the opposite. It's far more than that. It's out of that oneness, out of that born-again spirit and that intimacy that proceeds from it that just like Jesus was in the Father and the Father in Him, now they're in us and the world's going to know that I came from you because they see that they have this beautiful triangle of love or intimacy. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, I love this. It's like, I'm sure the disciples were going, huh? You know, especially they're not born again, and there's born again people going, huh? I and them, that's his disciples, and thou and me, Father, that they made perfect in one, and that the world may hear again, may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You got this beautiful triangle. Here's God, Christ, and us. <laughs> I can't even begin. He's saying, Father, I'm in you, and you're in me, and they're in us. And because of all this, that communion that, that we're having together in this oneness that you've created us in, this foundation of, of, of born again, and out of this communion and out of this intimacy that we're having, the world's going to see that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Hallelujah. I like it. Father, I, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me from the foundation of the world. Now you can take this in a sense of the word like bring them along, bring them, back, bring them to heaven, eventually to be with us but i believe it went far deeper than that when it's father because he's praying a present tense prayer that all of this will be exemplified and it will be shown to the earth don't take them out of the world let what we've got be established in them so he says I, so whom thou hast given me be with me where i am behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. In, in essence, Lord, now Christ is going away. But he is with us and he's in us. 
but we're also in the Father, and he's asking the Father that that place that he is in, that we're able to present tense share in it, that glory. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Okay. Let me read this letter. Most, most of you out there probably received it this past week, and it's on our website if you want to go and read our letters. But it, I had to read that chapter because it is, this letter is, founda- is, is founded in that chapter. It's called The Triangle of Love. Um, while Jesus was on this earth, there was probably no greater prayer of intimacy that was prayed by him than the one in John 17, which we just read. Jesus prayed these words at the Last Supper in front of his disciples. His prayer not only included his will for his disciples, but for us, the church of 2021. And we read that particular verses. That they will believe on me. Those, I pray for those who will believe on me because of their words. John 17, I'll I'll read this because it's in the letter. We just read it, though, these four verses. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Now this is key. I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So he's painting this perfect triangle There is a, a triangle called, and I may not pronounce this right, Isolisis, Isolis, well, how do you say it? How do you say it? Isosceles. Isosceles, thank you. Because somebody here has got their, because I'm, Isosceles. It's two sides, only two sides it's equal. Scaling, is that correct? That's, that's a triangle with three different sides. Isosceles, I'll remember that. Achilles, no, isosceles. <laughs> then there is the equilateral triangle, which is all three sides being equal. What we're seeing here, now I'm not trying to teach, would that be geometry? Geography, you know, geometry? Because I didn't even know isosceles. But I do know this, that this is an equilateral triangle that is being described here, not equilateral in 
the essence of authority. I'm not teaching that we're equal with God or Christ in his deity. But what he is saying to us is that the intimacy of love, he, he repeats it time and time again, especially 21, 22, and 23, is that this equal lateral, this equal sides, in other words, that there is no, you, you've got triangles that are, can be shorter on one side than the other or two sides that are equal, but this love affair, if you want to say it like this, this love affair, when it comes to intimacy, there is nothing less provided for all three. In other words, Father, I'm asking you, because I'm in you, to love them as much as you've ever loved me. And when they love because they're in me, and when they love me, they're loving you just like they love me. It's an equilateral, all, in other words, the love and the intimacy. And this is, why are you, why are you, why, what, what's the essence of this? The essence is where he's calling us away to go into these places and we sit in worship. Worship, now please get this, worship is the, it's the vehicle to intimacy. But intimacy, if I can say this, is even, it's even beyond worship. Worship will take you to that place of intimacy. But intimacy is seeking him. Intimacy is sitting in his presence. Intimacy is waiting on him. Intimacy is fellowshipping with him. It's an equilateral. You're in the presence of the Father and the Son, and you're having a wor you're worshiping them both, and yet you're communing with, with the two of them as back and forth, and Jesus is there to instruct you, and intimacy is you sitting in the presence of a God that loves you as much as he loves Christ. And it's equilateral. It's not, it's, it's not a short-sighted. In other words, he just, he, in this, in this he, doesn't pre, he doesn't prefer him, a relationship with him, a little bit more than he does the other side of this triangle, a relationship with you. Jesus had to have this prayer answered. It was part of redemption. And he was saying, in what I'm about to do, Father, in this oneness, in the intimacy that will come and that will preach the gospel that I am who I say I am because of the relationship or the fellowship that all the world will see, let them know that there's not just an, not one eeny, beeny, beeny, beeny little bit of love more towards me than you love them. And so when they approach you or they approach me, that we, they have an understanding that in this, you're as available to me to them as you were to me. Glory be to God. Let me show you something out of, I've got to read the rest of this, and we've got a little bit more time, but 
Go to Revelation. This is, this is really neat. Go to Revelation chapter 3. I think you'll like this. Because this, this is another proof positive of this. What I'm trying to get across. I don't know. It's so... It's, it's, when you talk about intimacy, all you can do is try to describe from the best of you that you possibly can from the place of wherever you're at. Look at, I think this, this also is another picture of John 17. Now this is futuristic, but it was present tense because John was receiving it. And this is the, you know, the seven churches, and we're not going to go into all that, but I want you to look at John, uh, or, or Revelation 3, verse um, 19. But that won't help. That won't, okay, let's look at 14. So this is the last church of the seven churches in the church of Laodicea. And I think if there's any church that exemplifies the last day church, it is this church. You know, that, that is, we could relate to what we see out there in the last day church. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich. See, the, you know, the church at large thinks that they are rich. I could preach this. I, I don't want to get off on this. But they are so blind because there's no fellowship. There's no oneness as in what we're teaching tonight out of John 17. There is the oneness positional truth of the born again. But there is no oneness that verifies that Christ is ruling and reigning in their life because of a relationship that they're having with the Father and with the Son. And because of that, they say that they're rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many, now this is where these last few verses, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You ever, that's, that's called mortification. <laughs> be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and we've went through this before, so we're not teaching again. You know, we often used and it's often used in evangelism he stands at the door and knocks that's okay it's fruit of it it's one of millions of people to christ as in teaching but it's not that's not that's not in total that's not in context he's standing at the door of the church and knocking okay behold i stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door i will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now he says this, to him that overcometh will I grant. Now he's not talking about in the sweet, sweet by and by. He's talking to the church of the Laodicean. And then he's talking prophetically, it typifies the modern day church. So he's saying to anybody that overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes all this stuff that he just read. 
that we just read, the, the belief that you're rich because of the outside things of this world, new building, new program, new, you know, this, that, and the other, and yet you're poor towards intimacy you're to, because that's the, the topic that we're, we're understanding right now, and I want to get this across to you. But he says this, to him that overcomes will I grant. Now, this is the part I want you to see here. This relates to John 17. To him that overcometh will I grant, this is Jesus, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I want you to see this, and I'm not trying to get um, spooky here in the sense of the word where we're, we're teaching some flowery thing out there. I want you to see that this is, this is the truth of relationship that the Lord is saying to the church of Laodicean. He's saying, if you will overcome... Stay in there. Fight past these things. He said, I will invite you to sit with me in my throne as I have also went over and sat with my father in his throne. Doesn't that sound like the, that, that triangle again? And here, you know, when we talk about thrones, usually we're talking, we're, we're having an, 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 um, mentality of worship towards the throne of God and that's correct but here in this verse he he flattens out his throne he brings his throne down from a vertical to a horizontal level and says come 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 sit with me in my throne not up there but right here I'll come down you sit with me in my throne because if you'll sit with me in my throne, we're sitting in my Father's throne. I've brought this thing down to a horizontal so that we're all three of us sitting together in a fellowship, in a place of intimacy, in a place because I overcome, you come and you over, overcome in me. I've overcome, I'm sitting in his throne. Usually we think sitting on. Now he says in. It's amazing. He's taking it from there down here and then he equals it out and says come not that you're deity but because you share in intimacy you get to sit with me and the two of us are sitting with him john 17 perfect example john 17 i'll read and continue i need to finish this letter I like to see these verses, I said, as ones that describe the triangle of love. Jesus was asking the Father to establish in us the same relationship that he and the Father had together. He told the Father that if this was accomplished, he prayed this out, out loud, the whole world would believe that he had been sent by the Father. This is so amazing to think about when you realize our part in evangelism, in the evangelism of the world, that it is established through our relationship with Jesus and God our Father. It is first established through the oneness of the born-again experience, but it is not meant to stop there. This beautiful unity with God begins at salvation, but it is then exemplified through an ongoing fellowship 
of intimacy. Somebody says, I want to win my block. Wonderful. I got a prescription for you. Not a 15, cor- you know, 15 lesson course in evangelism. Go into intimacy. Stay in that place that when you come out, you're salt. And when necessary, use words. When it's absolutely necessary, use words. Because just like it oozed, I like the word oozed, just like it oozed from him, it'll ooze from you. There was no doubt in Jesus' earthly ministry that he had been sent from the Father. The miracles and acts of love were proof of that every day. But now he is speaking of another verification in John 17, of course. Another sign that he came from the Father. He is actually saying that the world will look at us and see the fellowship of the Father and Christ in us, and that relationship would convince them that Christ came from above. However, this kind of witness before the world does not happen through a casual relationship with Christ and the Father. There was nothing casual in Christ's fellowship with the Father. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every page radiates with the essence of his continual fellowship with the Father. Jesus prayed that the same fellowship would be established in us. Jesus prayed the prayer in John 17 out loud in front of his disciples. This was not a private prayer. He prayed it so it could be recorded by John and reaccounted to us for the purpose of knowing God's intent for fellowship. This prayer was teaching us that the heart of the Father was to have a relationship with us that was no less than what he and Christ had shared. Jesus could not pray anything to the Father that was not already his perfect will. And just to think that this prayer being answered in us would evangelize the world, it's so amazing. This has always been the heart of God from the beginning of creation. His desire was to have the same fellowship with his creation, his created sons, that he had with his eternal son from the beginning. This is why Jesus had to become the son of man, the Christ, as well. When you see this, and we don't have time, because I'm going to let you go in just a couple minutes, a few minutes. From the very beginning, from Genesis, all through Scripture, God's God's purpose for creating us, because he wanted more relationships, he wanted created sons that he could have the same intimacy, John 17, that Christ finally fulfilled, the same intimacy with that he was having with his eternal son already. And that is so remarkable, it's so amazing to me that God's intent from the beginning was, I want all to be conformed to the image of his son, his eternal son, was, you know, Candy and I were sharing the other day. She goes, look at this. She's just reading out of, out of Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs of, uh, chapter 30, I think, or 30 or 31. I think it's 30. But he says, he, he asking that question, he says, what is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? The eternal son was always known that he was there from the very beginning, way back in the Old Testament. And it was always God's intent to bring him into the earth after the fall, of course, to reunite us into sonship so that we could have this fellowship that he always wanted from the very beginning. John 17, 3 says this, 
And this, uh, and this is life eternal, that they, may, that, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, and the work which thou hast gave me to do, gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The treasures of the ark of the covenant could not satisfy the heart of God. Tens of thousands of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament could not satisfy the heart of God. Ordinances and laws could not satisfy the longing in the in uh, the heart of God. Only intimacy that comes through our our sonship and fellowship can satisfy God's heart and complete the triangle of love. Through the deliberate action of seeking God daily, we reinvest ourselves back into this beautiful triangle. It seems apparent from Christ's prayer that through this relationship there will come a testimony of glory and power to the world that cannot be denied. Miracles, signs, and wonders are not the core of this intimacy. They are the, life of a, they are the fruit of a life lived inside this intimacy. Supernatural provision is not the core of this intimacy, but it is the fruit of a life lived in this intimacy. A couple more paragraphs. We're almost done. God has no greater desire than to see the evangelism of the lost by his church today. His desire, he desires this beautiful triangle of fellowship to be established millions of times over. Revival is not coming. Revival is now. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the miracles in the gospels and the book of Acts are on schedule with this outpouring, but it is all because of the greatest harvest of souls that the world has ever seen is here. My prayer is that the world believes that Christ was sent from the Father because they see the fellowship that we are having with him, and I would say with him and them, this beautiful triangle. You're, and so, hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Did you get anything? Yes. Praise God. Well, what does that mean? It just means go into that place of prayer and intimacy and, and spend time and fellowship. And as I said, worship that is key, but you're going to find that it is a vehicle because there's a whole lot of things that take place in that intimacy besides just your repetitive, repetitive, I love you, I love you, I worship you. There's a rapport that comes back in it. It's, 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 a, it's not just you sending something, it's you receiving something, and in that, uh, good things. Hallelujah. Thank you for all your giving. We appreciate your giving online. We thank you for keeping us in your prayers and blessing us often. We love you. Hallelujah. Blessings on all of you and good night.